right? Well, that said, oh, one other little thing, little tidbit, side note, that I thought was kind of interesting. One of the internet, and I, I couldn't find a really good picture that I liked, otherwise I would have posted up here. I thought it was interesting. One of the, the uh, social media sensations at the moment is the uh, Weather Channel guy. <laughs> in the middle of the hurricane you know he's being blown all over the place and we're not sure we're gonna survive and everything and then you watch two people casually walking behind him re checking their phones <laughs> you know and uh, there's all kinds of little fake videos of everybody going, oh my gosh and they, then they pan back and there's like somebody's holding him in the air and people are throwing branches at him and stuff like that uh, just a thought as I was looking at that and I'd, I'd watched it for about the tenth time and I was laughing and thought, okay, this is kind of a fake news kind of thing. What are the possibilities that he actually believed it? Just a thought. Because I think in our lives, sometimes we believe we're in a hurricane and there may be people walking around in the same weather and they're doing fine, but in our world, in our experience, we think we're living in a hurricane and that is our life, that's our reality to it. So, mm -hmm. just a thought. Cool. Not related to anything, but I just thought that. Okay, that's it. All right, um, we, we set out last week to do two chapters, uh, specifically uh, 88 and 93. Um, 88. So let's see how we do. I, but I want to I do some uh, setup here today. Oh, 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 oh. I'm glad I pulled pull this up here. Back, back to saints for just a second. I've been, I've been trying to search through uh, writings and the things that the, 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 board, the editorial board utilized, but, but they came up with something interesting here that I think was fairly profound that they may not even have seen kind of how it was profound. Um, Elder Cook uh, in, did a, uh, a devotional at, at BYU-Idaho just a few weeks ago, uh, and he part, he's talking about saints. Uh, Elder Cook was the first, was the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles contact for this book. And part of what he said in his talk to uh, the students in Rexburg was, the story begins in 1815 with an explosion of an Indonesian volcano, Tambora, which caused widespread death, disease, and disruption. The beginning point was, the ch was chosen in light of what the Lord revealed about his, how he restored covenants that bind us to the Savior and enable us to recover all of life's problems. In the process of what, what these guys, what these editors are saying is that they have encapsulated it, it, very nicely that the Savior's mission and by extension the church's mission focuses on these three areas, death, disease and disruption and specifically what they said was the Savior's role is to save us from death to heal our disease and to resolve uh, disruptions in our relationships and I've never heard it this, this three-part mission of the Savior and of the church uh, uh, save us from death 
solve our diseases, and then take care of this disruption with relationships. And that is, and the more I've thought about that, the more profound it is that that's what the Savior does. He, go, he, he resolves broken relationships. First of all, primarily by being fallen, our relationship with God. And then as we're going to talk about extensively, the, the broken relationships that end in, in death, in mortality, but the gospel is going to restore relationships into the eternities. So if you want a three-part part of what, the, what we believe the Savior does, there it is. It's, it's the three. Uh, he's going to take care of disease, death, and disruption of relationships, which I, I just thought... Wow, and and I'm not find, I've gone back to the writings of the brethren. I'm not finding the writings of the brethren saying it that succinctly, but they are saying it in the volumes of saints that that's their goal. Okay, all right, that's it. Just a reminder as we're rolling through here. We need to keep reminding ourselves that our narrative in the past has been that the restoration was to restore lost priesthood keys. And it did, and it was critical, and it was vital. That the that keys that had, and priesthood and authority that have been lost be restored. We need to remember that's only half of the restoration. The other half was what uh, the Book of Mormon talks about, the plain and precious truths that were removed. So it is the restoration of original doctrines that were removed. And part of what we're going to see today is that the, um, the, the Savior in helping these people in 1832 could see that the temple was coming in the next few years. And now he's got to start preparing them for the temple. But he can't restore the temple without restoring the keys. And he can't restore the keys until he first restores the doctrine. So they will understand the doctrine that's going to drive the, the reason for the keys and then the reason for the rituals and ordinances of the temple. Does that make sense? So we're going three, we've we got to go doctrine, keys, ordinances. So we're going to start with the doctrine. And what they're going to get in 1832 and, and in May of 1833 is a big dose of doctrine that is going to start re the restoration of the original doctrine that the Savior taught that was removed over the first couple of centuries. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so um, we're, going to go, we're going to go dose of doctrine today. Um, shortly after Christmas... Uh, 1832, they're going to gather uh, to the upper room of the Kirtland, uh, the, the store, the Whitney store in uh, Kirtland. And there will be nine brethren. And, and they're going to be, and here comes this revelation, and it's section 88. And it's so lengthy that it's going to take two and a half days uh, for, this thing to, for this thing to roll out. And it's heavy on doctrine. And it will be paired with 93 that will come in May. And the two of those form kind of these pillars behind what we're doing in the temple, 88 and 93. Okay? Now, uh, but I, I want you to see, though, how this unfolds. I'm not going to spend um, forever doing this, but I want you to see... Um, I'm not going to go through this step by step. I kind of did this more for me. 
Because I started to look when I was looking at section 88 and I was looking at 93, I saw a common theme. And that is that the doctrines that you find in the Gospel of John, particularly in what is called the preamble of the Gospel of John, the first handful of verses in the book of John, the Lord is taking those and he's infusing those into section 88 and 93. Kevin, could you turn the, the lights down? Because it's smaller? Yeah, again, I'm not wanting to take this point by point, but I just need you to see kind of a visual view as I tried to match up colors between 88 uh, and 93 and where it was coming from in the book of John. John is providing the doctrinal background for all of these, which is interesting when we get to in this next year in, in Gospel Doctrine, we're going to be talking about the New Testament. And sometimes we look at, and, and we may just read through too quickly on the book of John, and recognizing that John is incredibly doctrinal powerful, but, but the plain and precious truths were taken out. So let me give you an example of that. So here's verse 16 in the book of John. Uh, chapter 1. And, his, and, and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Okay? Now, in, in early 1832 when Joseph goes over the, the, through the Joseph Smith translation, here's how he will restore it. And as many on his name shall receive of his fullness, and of his fullness all we received even immortality and eternal life through his grace. There's what Joseph Smith is restoring in the Joseph Smith translation. Filling that out. Okay? Now, but here comes section 93, and now that you got that, now let's fill it in. Here's 93. And I, John, bear record that he received a fullness of the glory of the Father. I, the Lord, give unto you these sayings. Why? That you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship. That you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. And if you keep my commandments, you re shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. You see how he's doing it? Here's what you guys have uh, as, uh, as your understanding. This is in the book of John. Joseph says, uh, I'm going to go back through in the translation. I'm going to add a little bit more meat to it. And then the Lord says, okay, you got that. Now here comes the rest of it because I need you to understand this before the temple comes. The purpose of the temple will teach you that you may understand and know how to worship and that you're going to be glorified that you shall receive grace for grace. And it was there in John, it's just been so truncated that the Lord says, I want to expand it so you can see it. You see his growth? And, you, and this pattern goes through all, the, all of the, the restoration of the gospel. There was a little truth. I'm going to grow it into something bigger as you're ready. And then I'm going to grow it into something much larger. As you are ready to handle it. Okay? And we're going to see this a lot in just a second. Okay? So, in order to do that, let's hop over to 
Linda, you can probably bring up the lights a little now. All right. So here is here's section 88. These brethren are listening. There are nine of them. Joseph is slowly uh, translating this. They're writing furiously. Um, verse 6. He hath ascended on high. He is also descended below all things. Meaning what? In that he comprehended all things. That he might be in and through all things. The light of truth. Which truth shineth. Now, watch how he expands on this. This is the light of Christ. He's in the sun, the, 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 the moon, the stars. Okay? Which light shineth. By the way, a second ago he said, which truth shineth. In verse 7, truth shineth. 12, or, or um, set, uh, uh, truth Am I missing that? Down further. There it is. 11. Which light shineth, which truth shineth, and 7. And what he's going to start do is he's going to say, some of these words I'm going to use are interchangeable. And if you will interchange them, suddenly the meaning of the scripture will explode on you. And watch, what, and watch how he does this. This is very cool. Um, which light proceedeth from the to fill of God to fill the immensity of space. Now, here we go. 13. The light which is in all things, which giveth life to all things, which is the law. What he just did is he makes light and law a synonym. And through the rest of this section and 93, you can re every time you see law, you can replace it with light. And every time you see light, you can replace it with law. And it will, and it will make the scripture jump to you. Let me give you an example. Okay? Um, 21, talking about the celestial kingdom. We'll talk about this in a second. 21, and they who are not sanctified through the light which I have given you, even the law of Christ, must inherit another kingdom. Now, why would he equate light and law? Why would he say light is kind of the same thing as the law and law, and law is really the same thing as light? How are, this is kind of like a college exam. How are these two related? Yeah. It's by Right. And, 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 and that happens, right? As we obey, we actually receive more light. But how did you know to obey the law? Well, Russ? I'm not answer that. <laughs> well, okay then. Don't call me. to me, when I saw law and light, the word priest came to yeah. That kind of rules all of eternity and God and everything. Yeah. And so that to me got involved with life. Well, sure. Yeah. I think as we grasp the law, we see for the first time. You know, and that's like shining a light. Uh, Isn't that cool? It is. But 
And I think it's in the book of John, he also likens the uh, light to the word, the law. The, the word becomes another synonym for light and law. You're right. Yeah. We also add the word truth. truth. Which truth shineth? When you ask me to think about law and light and what they have similar, it's God is truth. He is God because he right. bodies and shines all truth. And his law is true. It's kind of like pure science. There you go. Science is pure science. It, it really is that, isn't it? If I understand that he is truth and I am filled with his light, then what do I do? I live the law. <laughs> but sometimes if I'm no, I don't have that much light and I live the law, what happens? I get more light. Ah, now I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But God's light and power come from Him yeah. working with eternal laws. Working through eternal laws, right? So, so part of His law is emanating from Him. He says, I want you to be filled with light. Therefore, I will do what? I will give you law. <laughs> if I give you law, you'll be filled with my light. And if you're not sure, let me fill you with your light enough so that you'll obey the law. That's why this becomes very cool. Okay? In other words, he, he, if you understand that, then, then, then I'll understand truth. And those who don't understand truth, woe unto them who are blind, can't see light, and will not see. Because you can't see the light. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Like you can't see how strong the hurricane really is, yes. When I think of light, I think of something good, positive. I'm getting a blessing. Yeah. The Lord loves me. I'm, you know, all the good things. You know, talk about the light of Christ. So if you equate that to the law of Christ, instead of thinking it as something I better do or else, you know, something bad's going to happen to me or I'll be have to repent or whatever. If you think of the law of Christ as a way of get, a way of getting this light, yeah, obedient, it's all a very positive thing. Hold on to that idea for a second. She says, if if you're looking at if you're understanding law as light, in fact, the ability to live law gives me more light, more truth, more understanding, more warmth, more growth, everything that comes with light. Um, I, I have this little uh, kind of experiment I do in my office. I like I like plants. So in my office I have a variety of plants and I have two big windows. And it's funny, no matter how I turn my plants around, if I, if I give it about a week, what have the plants done? Turn the light. The light. <laughs> yeah, they go, oh, there's the light. We'll lean in that direction. And I go, no, I'll come along. You know, you've gone through some kind of trial in your life. Oh, you got turned away from the light. It'll go, Okay, I want the light. <laughs> and you watch them straining almost to get to the light. And it's, it's kind of cool to watch this principle that we want the warmth and the growth and the light that comes to us as we focus in the right direction. Okay? All right. Uh, now, here's what he's about to do here. So he's laying down this doctrine. If you understand about law and light, it's not about gaining obedience or brownie points. It's about what? Gaining more light. Gaining more knowledge. So now watch him take the next step in teaching them about the plan of salvation. Okay? Ultimately then, look at 20. 
We just got section 76 earlier in the year talking about who was going to be in the celestial kingdom. He's about to change who's in the, give you further refinement about who actually makes it to the celestial kingdom. And he's going to say, uh, those bodies which are of the celestial kingdom may possess it forever. Whoa, really? Uh, because he's going to say, we're just talking about the resurrection, and you're going to be filled with light, and those in the celestial kingdom are those that are filled with celestial light. That's who makes it the celestial kingdom, those that are filled with, and in fact he calls it the fullness. The fullness of God is really the fullness of light. Does that make sense? Which means you're filled with the fullness of truth. Which means that you're filled with the understanding of why laws are given in the first place. So he's going to say, and those who can't abide, verse 22, the law of the celestial kingdom. And we can say, for those who are not able to abide the light of the celestial kingdom won't inherit the celestial kingdom. Why? Because they can't abide it. They don't, they're drawing back. You ever, again, you ever come out of a really dark room and then walk out into the light or you're sound asleep and somebody, you know, a five-year-old comes wandering into your room and flips on the light and you just recoil. I'm not, I'm used to darkness. I can't handle light. It's too bright. That's uncomfortable. I have to do what? I've got to adapt. I've got to change. I've got to transform. My eyes have got to dilate so that I can handle greater light. Otherwise, I'm in the darkness. The, the, that's why the, the doctrine on this is so kind of simple, but it's incredibly powerful. Okay, so who's going to be in the celestial kingdom? It's those that can abide the light. And who's not? Well... Listen to this. He's going to say, The earth fulfills the celestial kingdom. 25. It filleth the measure of its creation. It transgresseth not the law. It'll be sanctified, meaning it'll be filled with light. Um, 28. Those who are of a celestial spirit shall receive the same body, which was the natural body, in which you shall receive your bodies, and your glory, your light, will be the light by which your bodies are quickened. Okay. Now, this I think is so profound. And we need to understand this because it will forever remove a myth that lives sometimes in the church. Forever it should. 32. And they who remain not in the, not in the celestial sphere shall also be quickened. Nevertheless, they shall return again to their own place, one they're comfortable with, to enjoy that which they are willing to receive. Listen closely to that. They are not in the celestial kingdom. Why? Because they don't want it. They are, they are receiving the amount of light they are willing to receive. Because they are not willing to enjoy that which they might have received. And then the true meaning of 33. 
For what doth it profiteth a man if a gift, the celestial kingdom, the light of the celestial kingdom, is bestowed upon him and he receive not the gift? So here is the myth that this should forever destroy in our minds. There will be no one who wants to be in the celestial kingdom that won't be. Sometimes we've had a fear in our perfectionism and stuff that says, I wanted to get there, but I fell just short. <laughs> I was five points below an A. I didn't get the A, <laughs> so I flunked the class. My family really wanted to be with us in the celestial kingdom, but they weren't going to be able to deserve it, or they weren't going to be rewarded with it. In other words, there will never, ever in the eternities be people that want to be in the celestial kingdom that won't be. Those, everyone that wants to be in the celestial kingdom will be. Because they will hang with it as long as it takes, going through whatever it would take to receive more light, more grace for grace, more knowledge. Even if it takes a million years of the Savior working on them, they will be in the celestial kingdom. The only people that will be in the terrestrial kingdom will be there because they choose. The only people that will be in the telestial kingdom will be there because that's what they chose. That was the amount of light they were willing to receive. How about that? And that's the merciful God. And this, brothers and sisters, this is one of the original doctrines that was lost in the, needed to be restored in the restoration. This was taught in the first century Christianity. It was taught by Origen. It was taught by, uh, um, not Justinian. Hit me in a minute. Anyway, but this was taught in the original church. And it was lost through the centuries that everyone who wanted to make it to the celestial kingdom, if you wanted to be there, you would be there. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying law and life is synonyms, Yeah. Okay, so if... If you only get what, what you want. Yeah, basically you kind of get what you want, that's right. Okay, but that's that's the light, right? Uh-huh. But the law is in that too. You right. To live the law. Right. Celestial laws. There you go. Okay, you're thinking. Okay. So, so that means if I'm filled with that light and I'm asked to live a law, why would I live the law? Because I want to. Because it, it opens up. As opposed to, how about if, if we're asking people to live the law and they really don't want to? Sundays are a pain. Pain tithing is hard. You know, we're being left out of all of the good stuff because we have to live the commandments. <laughs> Everybody else is having a great time and we don't get to drink coffee. You know, they're, they're those kind of things. And yet, as we're filled with light, we, we, we do those things reflexively because we are like Him. 
God loves because he loves loving love, <laughs> you know? We love because we want to love as opposed to those times that we are serving somebody who hasn't prepacked their house and we've got to show up to help them move and we're serving and dang it, we're being really good Christian people but we're hating every minute of it because we're having to, you know, empty their underwear drawer. <laughs> And then we're being resentful. They bet I better get extra brownie points for this one. <laughs> but I did serve, dang it. Did I do my visiting teaching? Yes. <laughs> so are you saying we not only have to do what is right, but we have to have the right attitude? Now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm saying not only that, we will have the right attitude about it. That's the cool part. It's like, yeah, I, I want to do this. Bring me the underwear drawer. <laughs> um, okay. Now, let, let me... Um, let's see, what order do I want to do this in? Um, okay, I'm going to do it in this way. Now, they're, they're wonderful little pieces of information. Again, this is heavy stuff. Th th even now, we look at this and our eyes tend to roll back in our head. It's like, ugh. Uh, intelligence cleaveth to intelligence and wisdom to wisdom and light. Truth embraces light and virtue. Light cleaveth to light. In other words, those that are like, we are like him. We are drawn to him. We want to be pulled into his light. Uh, all of the, that kind of thing. Now, he's going to go... I, I kind of like this. <laughs> there, I think there's a point where this is being dictated to Joseph Smith and probably looking at the nine brethren in this room. Now remember, the nine brethren in this room, what is the very longest any one of these guys in December of 1832 could have been a member of the church? A couple of years. But they're also in Kirtland. They didn't get to Kirtland until a year later. So what's the longest most of these guys have been in the church? A Maybe a year. You got a group of young converts. And some of these are like six months worth. So they're hearing all this stuff. This has to be blowing them away. Yeah. Are these nine at the School of the Prophets? The, yeah, we're talking about this is the beginning class of the School of the Prophets that will run for the next four months. Okay, and we're going to talk about because he's going to then command, but this is the starter. This is the opening address to the School of the Prophets. So, I love that the Lord at one point goes, um, Under what shall I liken these kingdoms that you may understand? Okay, this is a little heavy. So here's what he's going to do. We talked about the fact last time that the Lord was going to take two parables and he was going to rework them and modernize them. And last time we talked about the wheat and the tares. And you talk about these early brethren as being the wheat and the tender branches coming up through the ground. Okay. Here comes the second one. And it is, it is far more profound than they are ready to receive yet because they don't yet have the light. They don't have the doctrine, and they're three years away from a temple that would, under, that would teach them even more. But he's about to give them the doctrine by which we live and operate in our temple today. I was actually thinking about that. I was watching all the temple workers last night, watching all the laborers in the vineyard doing this dramatic, powerful work uh, in the house of the Lord. So he goes, okay, how, uh, how can I get, what can I give you? You'll understand. Okay, now here he goes. And he's going to go, um, 
51. I will liken these kingdoms unto a man having a field, and he sent forth his servants into the field to dig the field, and he said unto the first, Go labor in the field. Stop for a second. Which, which, uh, which parable are we talking about? This is the one about the, the laborers in the, in the vineyard. That's right. It's this one. Okay? And we know the story, right? <coughs> the story is, is that the owner has, has a vineyard. It needs to be uh, harvested. And the laborers show up. And he takes the first group and he, and he makes an agreement with them about how much money he's going to pay them. And they go off and they, and they uh, serve. And then, and then a few hours later, he needs more laborers. He brings them in. He makes an agreement. He sends them in. Remember? And so, then, then we, so all during the day. And then to me, it's one of my favorite, all-time favorite parables. And that's the five o'clockers. I talk about the five o'clockers that have waited all day. And they thought that they weren't going to get anything. But a five o'clock with an hour to go he sends the last group in they go in and they work and then we have that interesting moment at the end where now it's pay time at the end of the day and and what about the first group they get the full amount what about the second group the same thing Okay, what about the five o'clockers that waited all day? The same thing. And then what happens? The, the nine o'clockers are going, that's not right. That's not fair. And, and, and Elder Holland has spoken beautifully about this, about saying, why would, and then, because he then turns to them and says, why would you blame me? Why would you attack me? Because I desire to be kind. Okay, that's the parable that is rewritten in section 88. But watch what he does with it. With an eye that the, he's about to reveal the temple is coming, but he's not there yet. But watch what he does. Verse 52. He said unto the first, Go ye and labor into the field. And then he's going to do something interesting. In the first hour I will come unto you, and you shall behold the joy of my countenance. How would we say in, in light of what we just said? <laughs> hit, hit. How would you rewrite countenance? Light. You will get the joy of my light. Those first labors that go in. Okay? Um, then he said unto the second, Go ye also into the field, and, and in the second hour I will visit you with the joy of my light. So now what he's doing is he's turning this parable into not just this experience of this moment, he's now making this the history of the world. And he's going to stretch this thing out. So who are the first laborers in the first, the first hour? Adam and Eve. Okay, second hour, maybe Noah, maybe Abraham. In other words, he's, he's, he's literally doing that, okay? But they're coming from the same group. They came together. So if we, took, if we talked about if this is the last day and the last hour, which he's going to say it is, who was in an hour before? Not, just, not us, we're now. We're here. Who would have been the hour before? Your grandparents. Your progenitors. Your family. Your descendants. 
So we all receive the same. Yeah. They, it is your family that it was in the hour before. They saw his light. In other words, you are now related to them. You're related to the laborers before. Because he's going to go all the way through. And he's going to say, 58, And thus they all received the light of his countenance of their Lord, every man in his hour and in his time and in his season. But those of us in the last day are related to the ones previous to that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, let me put it in that context. And I hope I can get through this. I, I tried to rewrite the parable. How's, the, how's that for a little chutzpah? <laughs> Rewrite the Savior's... With that view, now I wanted to go back to the original Savior's parable and see if this makes some sense. And I, I, I apologize uh, for probably a little emotion on this. Uh, at the break of day, and by the way, I did send this. I think this was included. At the break of day, a large group of men and women gathered at the vineyard which was ready for harvest. When the owner arrived, he who was most senior approached the owner and pleaded with him. Generous sir, he said, this is my family. We have a desire to go into the temple and offer up sacrifices unto God. However, we do not have the means to sacrifice the lambs for sacrifice. I have observed that your vineyard is ready for harvest and that you will lose the fruit if you do not begin right away. We are anxious to help you with your harvest. In return, we ask that you would pay us enough that we might purchase the necessary sacrifices. By assisting you, we would be able to bring salvation to our family. The owner was moved with compassion and readily agreed. He sent a portion of the family into the, into the vineyard at the very first hour. The rest were told to watch and wait. The first group gladly began the work, but hoped there would be a need soon for more laborers. At an hour later, the owner came again and employed more laborers. They began, even though they were aware they would be working less hours and probably receive fewer wages. Each hour the owner would return to the waiting laborers and send more into the vineyard. Finally, as the sun was beginning to set late in the day, a small anxious group was all that remained. To their surprise and joy, the owner came one last time and sent them to labor as well. Though they had waited all day, they were grateful to assist in any remaining way they could. At the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard called all the laborers together to give them their wages. To their surprise, the first group was given an amount far larger than they anticipated. It would be more than enough to purchase the temple sacrifices and would provide for many other needs as well. They then watched with nervous anticipation as the owner prepared to pay the second group. Would their wages be enough to worship in the temple? To their surprise, the owner gave the second group the same amount far more than enough. The first group wept and thanked the owner for his kindness. They then watched as he gave each successive group the same generous portion. Seeing the last group forward come forward, he who was most senior approached the owner. Master, he said, you have been generous beyond measure. 
Because of your kindness, we will be able to worship with our family in the house of the Lord. However, the last group waited all day to labor. You employed them at the very last hour. We pray that your kindness will extend to them that they will also receive at least enough to one day sacrifice in the temple. The owner of the vineyard smiled and said, Do you not know me by now? Do you not see that I delight in being generous to those who lovingly labor in my vineyard? And with that, the owner gave to the last group the same amount he had given the first, to the amazement and joy of all. They then realized that each had received far more than they deserved and much more than they thought they needed. With deep gratitude, they thanked their generous benefactor one last time, then gathered all and prepared to worship at the temple. I think if the Savior were going to give that parable today, it would sound closer to that. That there wouldn't be jealousy on the part of the first. Why? Because it's their family. And they desperately want the last group to get what they got. That we may be united as a family. Family, yeah. When I was set apart in the DC Temple um, eight years ago, I remember the Temple President at the time, uh, as he blessed me, he blessed me that because my husband had just joined the church you know, two years before that, uh, after 31 years of marriage, but he blessed me that because of my service in the Temple, that not only would my husband and I, because we were empty nesters at the time, be blessed uh, spiritually and temporally, but our children and our children's children would be blessed because of my service. And as you read that, that penetrated because I had children that are not active, and I have grandchildren that have not been taught the gospel. Yeah. And that is the reason that I will never stop working at the temple. <laughs> I think we're connected. Yeah. This is the first time it's um, dawned on me that I am in the last group. I've always been faithful, grew up in the church, and so I never considered myself as being the last laborers. We're the ones that waited. All, you go back to that parable. We're the ones that wait all day in nervous anticipation. And what will we receive? Because we're not going to labor as long as they did in Enoch's day. But we're related. That's the amazing. They're all, we're all part of the same group of laborers. Yeah. I've always looked at that and considered those that were the last. That I mean, they weren't just sitting around waiting. In, in, in my story. Weren't just sitting. They were praying. They were They're, serving. They were taking water out to the laborers. Oh, may have yes. Lunch. They yeah. Were, there were. There's other ways to labor besides the physical part of laboring. Yeah. Those of us that that <clears throat> I think about the hurricane and we had to wait until we could get down there and help. There were many that could not physically go and do that work. And so we labored in other ways here, praying for our people that went down, helping them prepare. There's so many ways to labor, not just physical. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're all tied together. And it wasn't saying one labor was... Couldn't do 
was was more than another. You know that that we may love a a good gospel doctrine teacher, but but the the nursery leader who's busy running around like crazy is laboring perhaps even more, just less visible. So, yeah. In other words, here's what was here's what's happening as he's providing this doctrinal basis on light and law. He's now setting up what's about to happen in terms of exaltation and the temple and saying we're all tied together. Now, if we're looking at this, um, we're going to go through this again, aren't we? (laughs) We quit doing this. So, what's the difference here? And we were just talking about it. I think the difference is when it comes to law uh, and living the commandments, the difference is uh, serving out of a sense of obey and burn. (laughs) Or burn, okay, versus feel his love and his light. Then we obey at the level that we're able. That we gain greater knowledge through the light we receive, which causes us to serve and causes us to receive of his fullness and his light and his glory. Yeah. I I noticed a verse uh, verse forty nine that said, "The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended." It not. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the day shall come when you shall comprehend even God. And I think a lot of times people have the idea that God is a harsh, yeah, and and that He wishes to punish us and that. And, and it's our responsibility to learn to know who God really is. And I heard that yesterday. Whoa, that Old Testament God. He's tough, man. <laughs> He's harsh. It's blood and horror and death and it just isn't, you know, and I, I like I like the God of the New Testament. Someone said right in front of us. <laughs> it's the same guy. Uh, the problem is, and and I wonder where we're gonna have a chance to talk about this one. <laughs> I think we get a chance somewhere in the, this semester. Um, the, the, the short answer to that is, um, I go over here. T- the old, most of the Old Testament was written after the Jews were exiled in into Babylon. It has Babylonian writings all over it. Most biblical LDS scholars will tell you that e- that all, most of the books were written in exile after Jerusalem had been destroyed. And they have a different view of things. They fudged some numbers. <laughs> they tried to write 1 Kings as saying everybody should have a king like David. Chronicles says, well, he had some blips. But 1 Kings goes, no, everybody should have a king like David. It's, it's a story. And then when, when uh, Israel is attacking uh, all the other peoples and wiping them out and stuff like that, yeah, not so much. It's the same it's the same God. It's just that we get a heavy edited Old Testament that makes us makes it look like this God of fire and brimstone that wiped out Jerusalem. So 
We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the old. We'll probably put. We'll take a second and do the Old Testament in context. I think it's coming up here, but that's why it looks different. Yeah. What, wasn't some of that too um, a reflection? I mean, what a lot of people think of God as coming from that old Greek. Yeah. Philosophical thing, you know, and Zeus and all that. No, well, even more than that. But the Old Testament is Babylonian. That is ba Babylonian theology that God's pretty harsh. And, there's, and the survivors are the good guys. And, and everybody that gets conquered are the bad guys. You know, and they wrote the Old Testament that way. Yeah. Now, another comment is that if you look at the Book of Mormon, especially through the war chapters of Alma, Yeah. You know, you see very similar things. And... And Hold on to that idea. Okay. Hold on, as, as, as my next slide. Hold on, yeah, we had one more. Yeah. I just, um, I've never heard Protestants, but I've heard a lot of friends in different churches. They say they're teachers. I am British. Okay, thank you. You guys are setting me up nicely. <laughs> Third ward comes through. Okay. Um, okay, so in this movement, if we take, let, let's go back to who we said was in the room. Who was in the room? Guys that have been uh, members for six months, a year. What religion were they? They were Protestant. They, were, they swam in Protestant tradition. They were surrounded by Protestant people. They were raised in Protestant generations. They were Protestant in every way. Now, the Lord's saying, i got to move you from here to create saints out of you. And, and I want to do it by giving you more light and giving you the laws that will get you there so that we can build the temple, so I can get the keys restored, so I can teach you all of those kind of things. i got to get you there, but i got to start where you are. And where you are is Protestant on the frontier of America. In an evolving country. That's who they are. That's who he's preaching to. So, surprise, surprise, when we talk about kingdoms of glory and what's coming after this life, the very first thing that they receive is what? What's the first piece of scripture these Protestants are now going to get as the restoration starts to unfold? The Book of Mormon. Absolutely. Okay? So, the first thing you're going to get is the Book of Mormon. Now, if you're listening to King Benjamin, what are you going to hear? Same. Who goes to heaven? The righteous. Who goes to hell? Everybody, Everybody else. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it is. It's all heaven or hell. It's great glory or celestial burnings. Lots of flames, lots of stuff like that. It is written in Protestant style because that's where they were at the time. That's why Brigham Young said, if the Book of Mormon had been written much later, we'd have had a different book. It would have reflected more of the ongoing knowledge that was there. Now, so that's their understanding at the time. It's heaven or hell. Okay, what do we get in section 76? Here's the next step forward in their understanding. Is there, is there heaven and hell? No, there's multiple kingdoms. But who goes to the celestial kingdom? The righteous. And they're going to be the ones that 
were, were uh, consistent in their testimony of Jesus and all those kind of things. Who's going to the terrestrial kingdom? The honorable men of the world, yeah. These are the ones that were blinded here and they weren't necessarily as valiant in their testimony and they end up in the terrestrial kingdom. All these people that we do temple work for every day, okay. But that was their, that move, move a group of Protestants from heaven and hell to the next step. And by the way, we talked about last semester. How much pushback did they get from the members as they tried to teach the vision, section 76? It almost scuttled the, the, the England mission. When they, the minute they wrote, the, the minute that they read the vision, they got kicked out of Preston, England, for a while. Because it was too big of a jump. It's too much. It's too harsh. It's, it's not heaven or hell. It's, it's not what we expect. We want the people to fry in hell because they weren't in church with us. We want them to get their just desserts. And they couldn't accept it. It was too much. So the Lord gave them what they were ready to handle in section 76. Now, what did we just get in section 88? Here's the next step. In the movement of this of these group. Now who goes to, now who gets to live with God? Who gets to be exalted? All who want to. And how are you going to be able to tell? It's those being filled with light. And, 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 and so now it's a, broader, it's a broader, easier category. The doctrine says it's about light. So those who are going to be in the celestial kingdom now are going to be those who want to. And those who are not going to be in the celestial kingdom are those that choose not to accept the gift. Wow, that's a leap forward. That's kind of cool. And so he moves them another step along the way. Okay. Now, in this progress of I've got me and I've got to get me to heaven, what am I missing? The temple. Family. You're going to go alone? No, but I got all these other families that didn't receive all of this. They didn't get a chance to hear the light and the glory, and they didn't get a chance to accept Jesus. And even Joseph Smith goes, Section 76 is nice, but man, I, I'm going to miss Alvin in the kingdom of God because Alvin died before it, we had a chance. So I'm gonna, that's going to be awful. What about my kids? What about my kids that all died? I, I guess I miss them too, and Alvin. Okay, so now, so now comes section 88, and now we get this parable of the vineyard, and it is a foreshadowing, it's a tease. It's a preparation for what's about to be revealed where? Well, again, in sections, right? But to a certain extent, they're not going to get a, a much broader picture till Nauvoo. And they get the full endowment. In Kirtland, they will get the keys. In Kirtland, they will understand better. But, but when, when exactly do we get the, the uh, baptism for the dead? Anybody know what year off the top of your head? Uh-huh. Read the, read the book. I, 
I'm not exactly sure of the year. But 1842. Wasn't it when Joseph Smith was in jail? Nope. No? Nope. Comes in Nauvoo. He was in hiding, though. He wrote some mm. Section 138, he wrote in hiding, and he talks about, but the, but the uh, actual uh, revelation on, on uh, baptism for the dead comes in 1842. Yeah, did you? What, wasn't it at a funeral? It was. It was at a funeral where a, 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 the lady was grieving about her son. And, and this comes at a funeral in 1842. The, he preaches it. It's one of the reasons why I, I, I love to go. When I go to Nauvoo, I never miss a chance to go to the old burial grounds that a lot of people miss. It's up, the, up past the vineyards and stuff like that because in all likelihood, that's probably where it happened, I think, because it was at a funeral. Okay. They talk about it sometimes being somewhere else, but it was done at a funeral at her burial. He, he, he reveals it at that place. She immediately goes down to the Mississippi River and is baptized for her son. Okay. 1842. They, that's where, wait a minute, we can actually pull in the dead, our, our, the, the earlier laborers. But they're getting the idea of the laborers now. They just don't see it for what it is yet. They don't yet have the light. Yeah. Yeah, but we're not understanding. How does that work? You know, you're right. Because uh, once you get it, now you have, now I fill you with light. Now you go back to the, the New Testament and you go, oh, I see it. It's there. It's like now I have a flashlight and I can start looking at these things and go, oh, I totally get John now. This all makes sense where it didn't make sense before to those that were still in darkness. But, but you get this wonderful progression of all or nothing, black and white, heaven or hell, uh, to section 76, where there is based on a lot of what they did, and now it's section 88, it's based on what they want, it's based on their desires, and then we get the, the last step is going to be that. And by the way, I could have put one more progression, because when did we actually start doing all of the endowments for the dead? Not till St. George. But, it, but, you get all, but you get this progression of knowledge because he had to move a people from where they were to where they needed to be and it was going to have to be a gradual process. I understood that uh, the people that went through the uh, Nauvoo Temple received that they were sealed to families. They were. They're being like, like my uh, my pioneer grandfather Arza Hinckley was sealed to his parents there. So the, yeah, they were receiving endowments, but the full work of everything and going way back and all that stuff is comes really in St. George. So most of the work in Nauvoo are currently... We needed to get these guys endowed before we send them across the plains. And if you've got some immediate family... Like, like my pioneer grandfather was sealed to his, um, his parents in Nauvoo. But then he gets to St. George and, he, and they're looking at this idea of sealing. Um, in fact, hold on just a sec. Let's, let's go one more here. Here was the concept that was being slowly revealed out to them and it was coming step by step. And that was that we are literally in the temples forging heaven. Heaven is being created in the ceiling room. So let's go back to what we said. The, the, the responsibility and the, 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 the role of the church and by extension uh, the Savior and by extension the church. The threefold was 
heal disease, save us from death, and restore disrupted relationships. When we left the pre-existence, we were torn from family connections. And when we die from here, we are torn from our family connections. And he says, what we're going to do in the temple is we're going to literally forge on the altars. You almost have to picture the altar like the blacksmith forge. We're going to seal right there these families to one another. And my pioneer grandfather Arza said, um, wow, I got to be sealed. And we have this wonderful principle of adoption that they did for about 50 years, wrongly. So what he did is I got to seal as many as I can to me. So in this, he goes to the St. George Temple and he, and he has sealed not just to his parents, but to his grandmother, to his great-grandmother, his great-great-grandmother, and his great-great-grandmother as wives. We're going to forge heaven. I will connect them to me. They won't be lost because it happens in the ceiling room. And it's not until Wilford Woodruff in 1894 who goes, Hey, I've had a vision. We ought to all be sealed to our own families. <laughs> no longer Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and, and all those kind of things. But we're going to do this differently now. We've been doing it wrong. Wilford Woodruff said we've been doing it wrong. Okay. But at that point, the idea was, as these saints were rolling out, that, the, that somehow, as when they get to Nauvoo, and they're getting to Salt Lake, they have a sense that they are creating heaven in the ceiling room, and doing the ceiling so that the family won't be lost. Okay? Kind of cool, huh? But, but you're seeing the roots of it, you're seeing the roots of it in that little room in 1832 in Kirtland, where they're getting this, this vision of the laborers, and it's different from what it is in the New Testament. But they're getting a little bit more light, but he's trying to move these Protestants forward, okay? All right. That's a lot. How are we doing? <laughs> well, back to your Book of Mormon analogy that not an analogy, but understanding of what they were taught of people. Yeah. What do you think that the prophets in the Book of Mormon a few times said, I received much knowledge in life, but I'm told not to write it. Yeah. So do you think that the prophets understood more of the gospel than what they were teaching? I think sometimes, and that, see, I have a couple of questions, like on King Benjamin. Did he know more than he could teach? Is it, was it just said in such a way so that it would fit the first generation of the church? We don't know. Or was it really the fact that that was a first generation of Nephites in Zarahemla and they were Protestant, they were actually Mayan, it's a different deal, but they weren't ready to have the whole picture. I don't know. Uh, but I suspect, uh, who was it that says I would write, it was Nephi, wasn't it? I would write more except John gets to do this. Well, you get a sense that John had a lot of it and it got edited out. Okay? Yeah? I think so also because we are not prepared for considers. No, you, and, and the Lord doesn't want to give you stuff that you're not ready to receive. Yeah. And I have to have enough light and law behind me to receive the stuff. And I just think we just have to give ourselves credit to grow. Okay? So... Any comments on this? We're not getting to 93 very fast. I'm going to know right now. What's that? I'm going to know something for right now. And yeah. Something right now. Is if you're a <coughs> are you sealed with the family you're adopted to? 
She's wondering about the idea of adoption. Um, now, this isn't the adoption like what we understand. No. Uh, ad the principle of adoption in the early I, days of the church was no, different. No, I know you're talking about that, but I want to know for right now. Oh, no, for, for right now, if it's adoption like adoption, then you're sealed, yeah. Yeah, you're part of that family. Yeah, absolutely. Just back then, they used... It, it, where they, in the early days of the church, when they used the term adoption, they should have used the word sealing. And, and then, then it makes more sense, where everybody's going to be sealed to Brigham Young, because you, you don't know if your grandfather would accept the gospel. So you don't want to be sealed to him, because he, he might end up in another kingdom. So we'll be sealed to Brigham Young, because we know he'll made it. <laughs> and, and then it took Wilford Woodruff to go they will accept be sealed to your family not anybody else so as we're reading the book of Mormon the early learning the long, 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 I have a tough time sometimes reading I do too I have a real tough time knowing that that's the fullness of the gospel yeah it is the struggle that I have it, it hmm. It's the struggle that I have with, with uh, trying to, as we're reading the Book of Mormon and we're emphasizing the Book of Mormon and we should and it's powerful and our lives are better because it's in our lives. Which is, makes sense though that we have, as part of our standard works, Got to have the doctrine and covenants, and not discount it like we sometimes do. Yes, Th thank you. Because if you're going to get your doctrines of the resurrection out of the Book of Mormon, you're going backwards in time because that's what they understood, and that's what the first gener generation got. But the Book of Mormon is was ne it was intended to be a testimony of Christ. It was not intended to be a, a doctrinal exposition of the afterlife. There's very little about what comes after this life, and what's there was based on, the, on a basic knowledge that they had at the time. But sometimes if we're new to the church, we're going, what does the Mormon church believe? Well, it believes that there's heaven and hell with heaven and, and burnings. We go, well, no, it's, that's, that's later. But we don't always get a chance to kind of correct that with people that are new to the church. Oh, that's why we have uh, modern day prophets and apostles to lead us forth with a greater understanding of our Father's love for us. It's a continual. Yeah, well, all, we believe that all that God will yet reveal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Well, even in the Book of Mormon, as you read it, you read how we're younger talking to his sons. Saying, Here's the resurrection. As I and at this point in time, I did not know. And this is like a. So he does a caveat there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I had to ask, and here's the, and here's what I understand. He gives us a little bit. He says, I don't think it's the same day. I think there's different there. Yeah. You know, um, and and yet, uh, you know, I was at a fireside the other night with a guy that says, No, the Book of Mormon says that this is the day to repent, and if you don't repent here, you're dead. Period. And I said, I think God's more merciful than that. No, it says. I love today. This has just brought a whole... There's a whole bigger picture, right? Yeah, this is great. Yeah, and I just, I just think, again, when I, try and, when I try and say people that are interested in the church, I say, you need to understand that we worship a God that is far more merciful, more expansive in the way that He views things, far more loving than you have any idea. And the more light you have, the more you're going to go, He's incredibly kind to all of us. Yeah. 
how do you tie in the morning of the first resurrection as a point in time with all this concept? Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, but because we had that morning of the first resurrection, and that seems to be the ones that are going to be celestial glory and, and all that. I, I, I don't know, unless that morning is a really long... You know, for, for some people it's already started, right? For, for, for a lot of the, especially those first members of the church and even at the Nephites, the morning of the first resurrection has already begun. But I don't know. But for those that maybe are living right now, and they die, maybe it takes them a million years before, th- because they still want to be there and they're hanging in law, and the Savior has a million years to work with them. They're going to be there, but that extends that resurrection. Oh, wow! That's a long way. I don't know. Uh, yeah? Well, that's part of the blessing and the sealing in the temple, you know, when the husbands and wives are sealed. Yeah. They will have the blessing of the resurrection of the first. The, the blessings of the first resurrection, maybe not as a time in. Right. That's an interesting thought. I don't, I don't know. know. Also, uh, everything that we've talked about since this class started last semester is about this progression. It's the progression. Online. We watch grace for grace. Yeah, and we watch Joseph grow little bit by little bit, and we see the church grow, and it's still growing. And that's an important thing to understand, I think, and that's why we need a living prophet for a living church. You know, and we grow line upon line too. So it's all. Yeah. Are we expecting to receive more revelation in a few weeks? Yes. Yep. We buckled up. We're going to be disappointed. Yeah, because we're growing. The church is the church is growing and expanding on some things, and and we don't hold them to that. We just need to recognize that these first people were there. Okay, a couple last things, then we'll be done. Question: How about the Lamanites Nephites that die in those wars? Who's going to well, there's a really good question. What about those good Lamanites that were they? Maybe they weren't doing endowments back then and stuff like that. Yeah, that's we've got a lot of work to do in the millennium. Right. We do by the last laborers who are going to be laboring for those that labored, you know, centuries before. So, um, okay. So, so before we finish, then. Um, Okay. So, next week, we, we will start with um, the, 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 the School of the Prophets is now going to be rolled out. And what we're going to get in 93, uh, and subsequently, what we're going to see is this shift where the Lord is going to say, I don't think Jackson County is going to make it. It won't. It'll fall, sick. It'll fall in uh, the summer of 1833 and they'll be driven out across the river. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but because of that, the Lord's going to shift and say, yes, we're going to build a temple, but we're not going to build it in Independence. We're going to build it in Kirtland. So I've got to get you guys ready. So there's going to be a school of the prophets for about four months in 1833 for about four months, 1834 for about three or four months, and then 1835, and then and then 36, and they actually then add the Hebrew school in the early part of 1836. But he's trying to get them ready to build the temple, and it will be dedicated three years later, but the ground will be broken six months after this commandment as they start rolling forward. So. We made it. 
If nothing else, I, I really need you to see what, what we were just talking about. And that is that part of the story of the saints, this new book, and part of the everything that's going forward is you watch very human, fallible people being moved and transformed by the Lord and by their experiences over time to become the saints that they become. And the goal of the, the writers of the saints says, put yourself in their place. See ourselves as human. See ourselves as fallible. See ourselves walking through this transformational journey, which is our life, and our journey in the church, and grow into the people that the Lord intends us to be. But stop beating yourself up because you're not there yet. The Joseph in Kirtland was certainly not the Joseph that stood, that went to Carthage. That was a, almost a different guy because of the transformation process that happened. So, uh, I bury my testimony. The church is more true today than it was to me a year ago. And it's just more fuller and more powerful. And the Lord is more merciful. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.